That's awesome. Very, very cool. We certainly did have an incredible, or having an incredible June. Between middle school and high school camps, we saw um, uh, 377 that we were able to take to middle school and high school camp. Um, close to 1,000 were a part of our VBS program we did here. And God has just been so, so good. Someone said, Trip, why did so many students have life-changing experiences at camp? Is there something special about camp? And I said, well, you know what? Camp is a special thing because it kind of gets us away from the noise and distractions of life. And it puts us in an environment where we're very intentionally focused on the Lord. We focus on community. We focus on responding. And this year in particular, our theme was now. The whole idea of now is about recognizing the moment, living in the moment, realizing what's happening now. Now, we all understand the idea of now. In fact, our camp logo, you'll see back here, it really was inspired by a pretty famous sign. They've changed it now, but the old sign looked kind of like this. Yes, indeed. My Lord, my Lord. The neon now of Krispy Kreme Donuts. Now, you could be riding down the road, leaving the mall of Georgia, heading this way on 20, and everything's moving reasonably well for Highway 20. But all of a sudden, leaving the mall, you'll see stars start just hitting the brakes, swerving, running people off the road, things like that. Why? Because when you see that, you know that the hot now sign has just come on. I don't know of a single sign that has the ability to disrupt people's lives more than the neon now sign. Why is that? Because you know when the neon now is on, you know that the best is available in this moment right here. You know that there is a realm on the other side of that sign that no other donut shop in town knows about, right? Because when them nuggets of manna fall from heaven, Yes, and they are glazed with that heavenly sauce on top of it. You know that the best, you are experiencing the very best in donuts at that moment. Now, as disappointing as it is when you find out you don't miss the neon now donut sign, you know what, I think there are moments in our lives, and I think they happen all the time, where God turns on the neon now sign. Where God says, hey, in this moment, I want to do something. In this moment, I want to offer you my best. In this moment, I want to take you and transform your life and take you somewhere that is a realm that nobody else knows about. That no, you cannot get anywhere else for right now. I want to do something in your life. I think sometimes we get so busy, we miss the now God moments. There are three different ways that I think we can approach the now. Three different ways that we can respond to these moments. The first is this. You can live in the past and you can neglect the now. You can live in the past and neglect the now. Some people live their lives looking in the rearview mirror. Maybe, maybe it's looking back to the glory days. Well, once upon a time, I was the man. Once upon a time, I did that once upon a time. Sometimes people look back and all they are, are focused on is their failures. 
They focus on mistakes. They focus on the things in life, how they've been hurt, how they've been scarred, how maybe things that they brought on themselves and they get so wrapped up in the past that they neglect the opportunity of the now. Then there's some who are always just looking forward. Well, one day, one day I'm going to get around to doing that. You know, one, one day I'm going to get serious about that. Well, Pastor Tripp, one, one day, I, I plan on doing that one day. Some people live in the future and they waste the now. They lose sight of the fact that the now shapes the future. Well, there's a third way we can approach the now, and that's this. We can live in the present. We can live in the moment. We can understand what is happening now, both redeeming the past and shaping the future. This week at camp, we took students on a journey in looking at the life of a man who sometimes got the now absolutely spot on right. And there were times he was so preoccupied that he completely missed it. We looked at the life of a guy named Simon Peter. And there were certainly moments that he got everything right. In Luke chapter 5, there's a story of where Peter was out fishing with some of his buddies one night, and they worked hard all night, which is when you fished at this time. And they didn't catch anything, and they brought their boats in, and they were cleaning their nets, and all of a sudden, Jesus unexpectedly shows up on the scene. And he gets in Peter's boat, and he says, Peter, hey, push out into the deep and try throwing your nets out again. And Peter said, well, I mean, <laughs> Jesus... Uh, okay, uh, we, we've already fished all night, and we didn't catch anything. And by the way, we're the professional fishermen. You're the preacher. I imagine he's saying, why don't you stick to preaching and let me stick to fishing? But somehow in that moment, he realized that this is a neon now. This is a God moment, and that although he didn't understand the instruction, he trusted the one giving the instruction. And so he said, okay, okay, okay Jesus, uh, okay. We'll push out. We'll try it your way. And when he threw his nets on the right side of the boat, it says the nets became so full that the boat began to sink. And that day, because he did not miss the God moment, the now moment, he saw Jesus for who he was. He responded in obedience and it says that he dropped his nets and he walked off the beach that day with a new sense of purpose and a new plan for his life. Now, there are other times he didn't get it so right. There are other times where Jesus is trying to do something and, man, it goes right over his head because he's so preoccupied with other things. At the Last Supper, Jesus informs his followers, hey, one of y'all is about to betray me. And Peter jumps up. I imagine him with his robe doing the whole Superman thing long before uh, Cam Newton did it. And he jumps up, and, and I imagine him going, Jesus, I will never deny you. Man, that's crazy talk. He says, now all these other guys, they might deny, but look at me, I'm better than them. I will never deny you. And then Jesus gets wildly specific, and he says, uh, hey, Pete, um, not only will you deny me, but... By the end of the night, before the rooster crows in the morning, 
you will deny me three times. And Peter says, that is crazy. It will never happen. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. From that place, Jesus walks to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he brings three of his guys further with him, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus is going to the garden the night before the crucifixion. And he says, guys, here's what I need you to do. Peter, listen up. I'm going to need you to watch. I need you to be aware of the moment. I need you to realize, folks, give me your eyes. I need you to watch and I need you to pray. Don't miss what's about to go down. Peter says, I got you, man. Eat, watch and pray. I'm with you, man. You're my boy. I'm, I got your back. Remember? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And Jesus leaves them there, and Jesus goes a little further over here, and Jesus prays one of the most intense prayers ever. Because Jesus is praying knowing that the cross is waiting. And being fully human, he realizes this is about to be the most excruciating pain that one can have in death. But being fully God, he realizes in that moment, that the weight of the sin of the world is about to be on his shoulders. And Jesus is praying, and it says the prayer got so intense that he is sweating drops of blood. And he's saying, Father God, if there is any way that this cup of suffering can pass from me, if there's any other way this can go down, if there's any other way these people can be redeemed, now's a good time. I'm open to it. <laughs> but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus gets up, and he's covered in blood, sweat, drops of blood, and he goes back to his boy Peter, who is asleep. He's asleep. And he wakes him up, and he's like, can't you even stay awake an hour? And he tells him again, would you please watch and pray? I got you, Jesus. I'm with you, man. My bad. I'm, I'm with you now. And Jesus goes back and has the same prayer again and again returns and Peter's asleep. This happens a third time. And finally Jesus says, you know what, Peter? You go ahead and sleep for the time has come. Three times Peter failed to pray. Three times he was disobedient to God and three times he fell into temptation. See, when Peter missed the moment... When Peter missed what God was trying to do in his presence and in his life, we see next what that led to. Peter finally wakes up, and when he wakes up, the, the, the guards have come to get Jesus, and Jesus was betrayed. And Peter wakes up, and these guards are there, and they're trying to take Jesus, and what does he do? He reacts, and he grabs his sword, and he starts swinging it. Uh-uh, not my Jesus. You ain't going to get my boy like that. Come on, put him up. And he starts swinging this sword, and he cuts this dude's ear off, Malchus, the servant of the high priest. So we got Peter waking up, probably still wiping his eyes, swinging his sword. We got this dude over here with his ear on the ground, and blood probably just squirting right out. And Jesus is going, Peter, put your sword away. You're completely missing the moment. I've already said this is done. God's plan is in act. You're missing everything. And as that's trying, maybe trying to sink in with Peter, Jesus picks up this guy's ear. Yeah, sorry about, sorry about my, my boy here. He's here. Let me help you out here. And he heals this guy. 
What we see when Peter got it right, he always experienced God's best. When he got it wrong, he made a mess. He made a mess of his life and he made a mess of people around him. Jesus, of course, is led off to his trial. He had already told Peter and the guys, what is happening now? This doesn't concern you. You need to leave. But Peter, still operating from a worldly perspective because he's totally missing what God's doing, he disobeys and he follows Jesus. And he finds himself in a courtyard. And he's in this courtyard, and a girl walks up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? He goes, who, me? Nah, nah, uh-uh. No, you you mistaken me. I, Jesus who? I don't, I don't know. Jesus, what's his last name? Oh, Jesus Christ. No, I, uh, just kidding. That ain't his last name. Uh, he denies the Lord. Then someone else comes up to him. Hey, no, nah, I'm pretty sure. In fact, you know the guy with the ear? Hey, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I know you. You're the crazy guy with the knife, right? You're, I know you. Uh-uh, you don't know me. Uh-uh, you're mistaking me. A third time. He denies Jesus. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. Luke's account of this scene is this. The rooster crowed, and Jesus was led through this courtyard. And Peter, who just denied his Lord after saying, I will never leave you. You can count on me. Peter and Jesus, they lock eyes. Can you imagine how intense that moment was? And it says that Peter fell on his face, and he began to weep. Bitterly. We're talking about a guy who was literally rock bottom. Could his life get any lower than this? He had just, after bragging, I'll never leave you, he had just openly denied even knowing Jesus. We go from this low moment, and things at least appear. In the immediate to get even worse as Jesus is led away and Jesus is crucified. After Jesus dies on the cross, he's placed in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, the tomb is empty. And word is sent to Peter and the guys, I want you to head north to Galilee and wait on me there. Jesus says, go, I will meet you there, I will be there. And Jesus begins to appear to his followers and over 500 other people. I want us to pick up this story in John chapter 21. Because in John chapter 21, we see that Peter had been told, wait for the Lord. Just wait for the Lord. Wait for Jesus here. And in verse 1 of chapter 21, we see that later Jesus again appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. We see Peter. Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Peter says, I am going fishing. <laughs> Peter said, I'm going fishing. Apparently, he grew tired of waiting on Jesus. So what does he do? He says, well, I'm going fishing. We ain't talking about throwing a hook in the water because you're bored and just want to do something. We're talking about Peter, who... Previously, when he met Jesus, dropped his nets because Jesus says, I want to redefine your life. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. What we're seeing here is Peter in his impatience, in the uncertainty of the moment, even in the despair of what he had done, we see Peter returning to his old life. 
He's returning to something that's familiar to him. This week, I was talking with students who are in the exact same place. Talking to students who are dealing with drug addictions. Talking to students who are dealing with some pretty heavy things. And hearing them say, you know what, I really want to change. I want to be different. I don't want to be a slave to that. I don't want that to be my life. I don't want that to be my future. But it just seems like I, I try and I mess up and I fall on my face. And in that moment, I just feel so bad. It's easier just to go back to what's familiar. That's what we see Peter doing here. And when Peter goes, notice what happens. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing. Your spiritual decisions always impact those around you. Peter says, man, I, I, I don't know if I can do I'm just so conflicted. I, I, wait on you. What, what? And so he takes off to his old life, and people go with him. I wonder how many times I miss now moments, and it impacts my family. I wonder how many times I miss now moments, and it impacts my friends. It impacts those around me who are watching me. It impacts my coworkers. So all of them now are out on a boat, and it says they fished, but they caught nothing all night. When you're out of the will of God, you're not going to be productive in ways that matter. And at dawn, <clears throat> Jesus shows up, and he was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Verse 5, it says he called out, fellas. Have you caught any fish? I think Jesus is totally messing with them right here. Jesus shows up. He's on the beach. They're out there throwing the nets overboard, pulling it up. Nope. Pulling it up. Nope. And Jesus is watching this play out. And finally he's like, hey, hey, fellas, y'all caught anything? How's that fishing working out for y'all? And he's just watching this whole scene play out. And he's, they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And then he looks to him and he says this. He says, well, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Who is this crazy guy on the beach telling us how to fish? So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. This is the exact same scene that plays out in Luke chapter 4. Do it my way, and let me do, let me provide the results here. And they do, and there's so many fish. In verse 7, and the disciple who loved, who Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Yeah, he's fishing in his drawers. And he jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. And the others stayed with the boat, and they pulled a loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards out. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Don't miss this. This is such a beautiful picture of God's grace right here. Jesus saw that Peter had gone back to his old life. He saw where Peter was, and he pursued him. And not only did he pursue Peter, he wanted to minister to Peter. I think it's pretty cool that Jesus fed Peter with the fish he already had. He didn't need Peter's fish. 
when you're in the will of God, you don't have to worry about the fish. When Jesus says, throw your nets over here, the fish find the net. And here Peter's reminded of the first of several truths from this now God moment. The first one is this. God can be trusted for the provision, for the purpose, and for the plan. When God tells us to do something, he can be trusted for the provision. Peter dropped his nets when he followed Jesus. Why? Because Jesus would provide the fish. Jesus walked off the beach, and he had a purpose. He had a plan. When he started doing things his own way, guess what? The provision became a struggle, the purpose became a struggle, and the plan became a struggle. God always can be trusted to provide the provision, the purpose, the plan. In verse 10, bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. This is cool. He said, I don't need your fish, but you know what? I'll take what you have, and I will use it. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish. Peter must have been jacked up, man. He drugged this net with 153 large fish, and yet the net didn't even tear. And Jesus said, now come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They were in his presence, and Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this is the third time Jesus appeared to them. What a beautiful scene right here we have of Jesus serving and feeding his disciples. I try imagining what's going through their mind. They've been on the run. They all hid. Every one of them hid when Jesus went to the cross. Now Jesus goes up and he's ministering to them. He's like, here, have some bread, have some fish. I can imagine as they're sitting there eating that, they're remembering the time Jesus broke bread and fed the 5,000. Time he broke bread and he fed the 4,000. And I have to think in that moment, they're sitting there saying, why in the world are we doubting who is always, always faithful to provide? After breakfast, Jesus gets down to business with them right here. In verse 15, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think Peter's in trouble because Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. Can some of y'all hear your parents calling you by your full name here when you're in trouble? For me, Kenneth? Uh-oh. If mama don't say trip, it ain't good. Jesus is calling him by his old name, I think, because Peter had gone back to living his old ways. And this is a subtle, maybe not so subtle reminder to him. Boy, you're acting like the old man, not the new man. And then he asks him a series of questions. He says, do you love me more than these? Well, who are the these? Well, the these are the other disciples, but the word that is used here is a little more inclusive. Suggesting that it includes, do you love me more than these guys do, but also, do you love me more than your boat? Do you love me more than your net? Do you love me more than your stuff? He said, do you love me more than these? 
How many times do we fall in the trap of measuring our spiritual life to other people and how they're doing? Jesus was bringing Peter back to the exact point where he said, even if they fall away, I'll never fall away. And here's what he does in the moment. He does something incredible by the way that he asked the question, do you love me? To understand what's really going on here, we kind of need some help from the original Greek text. In English, there is one word for love. I love pizza, I love uh, college football, and I love my mama. You know, one word for very, very different things. The Greek language is a little more descriptive. There's multiple terms for the word love, and two of these terms are used in this passage. The first is agapao, and the second is phileo. The word agapao is the, is the verb form of the Greek word agape. That is God's sacrificial love, the love that seeks the highest good of the other one. It's the highest love of the will. It's total commitment. It's sacrificial. This is John 3.16 kind of love here. So Jesus was saying, Peter, do you love me sacrificially? Do you love me supremely? Peter, do you agapal me more than these? And Peter's response, he says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Phileo is a word for brotherly love. It's a word of affection. So in essence, what he's saying here is, Peter, do you love me supremely? Yes, Jesus, I, I really like you. I'm really affectionate towards you. What in the world kind of response is this? Jesus is pursuing this guy. He's clearly giving him another opportunity to pick himself up. He's setting him up for a comeback. Why in the world would Peter respond to Jesus this way? Because Peter is now humbled. He's not now saying, I'm the man. I'll never leave you. I, I'm the best. I got the best kind of love for you. You know what he's saying here? I'm not going out on that limb again. I will not put my foot in my mouth again. You know what, Jesus? I, am, I have so much affection for you. I really like you. I really want to do this. And Peter is finding himself in complete brokenness and humility, not even able to say the words, I'll never deny you again, Jesus. He's saying, the best I can, I, I, I really am affectionate towards you. And Jesus says, then Peter, feed my sheep. Hold on, hold on one second here. The guy who just denied Jesus says, I don't even know the fella. Jesus says, do you love me supremely? And he's like, well, I really like you. I'm really affectionate towards you. You telling me now that Jesus is going to bring him back into ministry? He's going to restore him? He's going to refocus his attention and give him purpose and a plan for his life again? Yes. Why would Jesus do that? I think because for the first time, Peter is being real. Peter is being authentic. He ain't lying to him. Jesus knows his heart. If he would have shot off in his mouth, I'll never deny you again, Jesus. Jesus knows his heart. I think sometimes we lie to God when we pray. I have. 
How many times did we come to God and we act like our stuff's all together and we're praying some holy prayer and God's got to be sitting there saying, what? No. I see how messed up you are. I see how wrecked you are. Why are you coming at me playing like everything's together? Why are you shooting off at the mouth when you clearly don't really mean what you're saying right now? Peter comes from a place of humility, and when he does, Jesus really begins to reveal this second big truth, and that is restoration begins with authenticity. Restoration begins with truth. When Peter was authentic with Jesus, Jesus says, okay, now we're talking. I got a place for you. I can work with that. I can do something with that. The lying, the faking, the pretending, now that you're authentic, I, I can do something with that now. Verse 16, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agapal me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. They both used the same Greek word as they used the first time. But now Jesus has dropped, notice this, Jesus now drops the more than these from the question. Do you agapal me, Peter? Jesus is making this wildly personal. He's saying, look here, look in my eyes. This ain't about them. This is not about the people around you. Don't look and see what they're doing. Don't compare yourself to them. Don't worry. Look, I'm talking about a relationship, a love relationship between you and me. Do you, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I phileo you. He says, then go and feed my sheep. Now, the third time Jesus asks a question, it changes. Jesus asks this question in an entirely different way now. A third time he asks him, verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you phileo? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked a question the third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Hold on. What, what just happened? Jesus, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Now all of a sudden it's, do you phileo me? Is Jesus lowering the bar of what he wants out of his followers here? Is he saying, okay, well, if you're not going to love me supremely, then, then let me lower the bar and I'll take whatever I can get from you. No, Jesus isn't doing that. What's happening here? What's happening is that they are speaking the same language. Jesus met Peter where he was. Before it was this awesome agape love, but Peter was being real and he's saying, I'm not there yet. I'm broken. I'm hurt. I'm still at phileo. So Jesus comes down and he meets him where he is. And Peter comes face to face with this incredible truth of experiencing now moments. And that's this. That God loves you enough to meet you where you are. You're broken, you're hurt, you have doubts, you have fears. He loves you enough to meet you at that place. But don't miss this, but he loves you too much to leave you there. God loves you enough to meet you where you are, but he loves you too 
much to leave you there. Because in this moment of realness and authenticity, Jesus says, we can work with that now. I'm going to meet you where you are. But as Pastor Chuck reminds us all the time, what he does from here, he doesn't leave Peter there. What does he do? He picks him up. And he sets him on his two feet. And he wipes away his tears. And he kisses him on the forehead. And he says, my child, I love you. Now go and feed my sheep. And everything that was lost in his sin is restored in authenticity and in love with Jesus. We know that a short time later, Jesus ascended into heaven. And he told his followers, I'm going to leave my power and my presence with you. Wait, it's coming. And now he's waiting on the Lord. He's not trying to run his own game. Now he's waiting on the Lord. And God delivers on his promise and the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, who was front and center? Pete. Peter is front and center and he's proclaiming the good news. And that day, 3,000 people are added to the church. How many thousand? Three times. Jesus says, watch. Notice the moment. Pray. Three times Peter misses the God moment. Three times he falls into temptation. Three times he denies the Lord. Three times Jesus says, do you really love me? Forget the other people. This is you and me here. Do you really love me? Three times Peter says, the best I can. I love you. I want this love relationship. And three times Jesus says, I have a place for you. Now let's go. And now Peter's standing up, a place he never imagined probably he would be. And he's proclaiming the gospel on that day, 3,000 people are added to the church. Let's bow our heads together. I don't know exactly what Peter felt in that courtyard when he locked eyes with Jesus and he wept bitterly, but I know I have been at rock bottom before. I know that I have wept bitterly before. I know there's moments where I have said, I don't know if God can use me. I don't, I, I don't know if God can restore. I don't know if God can really forgive. I, I don't know. There are times I've run from God. There's times I've been impatient. There's times I've tried to do it my own way. There's times I've missed the now moment and began operating in the flesh and not in the realm of what God wants to do in me and what God wants to do through me. And just like Peter, every time I miss the now moment, every time I respond on my own, I make a hot mess. And it's a hot mess in my life, and it typically affects those around me. Everything, and I mean everything changed for Peter. When he stopped running from Jesus and he ran to Jesus, and when he came face to face with Jesus in all of his brokenness and doubt and pain and mess, he was just real. He was just authentic. And Jesus took that authenticity, he took his realness, and he began to restore and he began to heal. And he began to give Peter back that which had been lost. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Would you... 
in this place, in this moment right now, would you be truthful with God? Would you be real with God? Would would you put down the rehearsed prayers and would you just say to God what's on your heart? If you're hurt, tell him you're hurt. If you're broken, tell him you're broken. If you doubt he even exists, tell him. He already knows your heart. If you feel, God, you can't use me, look what I've done. Would you come to him in repentance and say, God, this is my heart. And I may not even be quite there yet, but this is where I am. And I want to love you. And I want your best for my life. And I want to follow you. As you are real with him, you can begin to receive that restoration and receive that grace and receive that love. And maybe even begin to love yourself again. And you don't have to look at your circumstances through the earthly perspective, but you can see them from God's perspective. And as we saw with Peter, the restoration, what followed that? It involved a next step. For Peter left that beach that day with a new plan and a new purpose. Here's the question, what is your next step? Maybe your next step is surrendering your life fully to him. Maybe you need to pray and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Save me. Maybe your next step is being public with your faith. Maybe even right now in this moment, you need to get up and you need to find someone in that hallway and say, I want to be baptized. Maybe your next step is forgiving yourself and moving on from your past. With restoration came action. And with action came experiencing God's best. Father God, I pray that in this place today, we may not only be real with you, but may we respond to your very, very best for our lives. Thank you for those who are responding in baptism now. God, made their stories, made their act of faith and their declaration. God, challenge us and encourage us to be real and to be open with our faith. God, may you bless each person here this week. As we respond to the now moments, may we not live in distraction. May we not live in the past. May we not just look forward, but may we realize today, right now, is a gift. It is a blessing. And God, may we always respond to what you want to do for your fame and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tripp. Well, since uh, our offering time, we've had four folks that said, man, yeah, I want to settle this and follow Jesus and believers' baptism. And the first is my new friend, Robin. This is her grandson, but Robin lives in southwest Florida and uh, just said, I just love this church. And today she wanted to settle her obedience with Christ by following him in believers' baptism. So, Robin, it is such a joy and an honor to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen.
This is Brenda. And um, this is a kind of a crazy story. Uh, I baptized this cat at 9.30. Tell me the Lord's not doing something crazy. Brenda, is it your statement today that Jesus is your Lord and you've come to follow him in believer's baptism? Amen. Then it is my joy, my privilege, my honor to baptize you, dear friend, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. Now, I'm not kidding when I say this is Bay. I'm not, Emma. Nope. Bay, I'm just so privileged to have this honor to baptize you today. And I'm so proud of that you've come to let these folks know that Jesus is your Lord and you want to follow him in believer's baptism. And it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. All right, this one shocked me. So I'm I'm saying if you if you want to settle this, just get up and walk. I saw Alan get up over here and start walking, and in my mind I'm thinking, well, Alan's going back there to help Tim. And then when I walked around there, Alan's, I'm, I'm following Jesus and believers' baptism. This is his family. Y'all come, come all the way around. I want to see the better part of this crowd. If you ever need something done, this cat can do anything. And what's odd is he can do it all with a, with a good attitude. Go figure. And he's, he's got a great family. And Alan, my my friend, it's just a great honor to have the privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Hey, I don't know about you, but it's been good to be in the house of the Lord, right? Yeah, and so uh, 13 folks have followed Jesus in Believer's Baptism today. I bet there's been plenty more who have heard Pastor Tripp and have trusted him and walked with him for the first time today. I want to remind you this week to let him go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. I want to remind you to let him go within you to bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved and I want to remind you when life beats you up to bend over and let him just come on over and pick you up and carry you through the darkest parts of your day only to set you down victoriously and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his big loving arms around you so that you can see your savior eyeball to eyeball and hear him say my child Say it with me. I love you. God bless you, friends. Go in peace.